following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Hi, nice to see everyone tonight. Welcome, welcome to Wednesday night. Uh, my name is Mara, Mara Young, and I'm uh, subbing for our wonderful teacher, Mark, who is... Uh, helping to guide a retreat out at Insight Meditation Society with some of our teachers. I'm a longtime Sangha member. I've been practicing uh, meditation for a number of decades, and particularly Vipassana in the last 20 or so years. And I, I'm also a community Dharma leader and uh, teach meditation and mindfulness-based stress reduction in the community as well as psychotherapy and other things of that nature, integrating those. So tonight's talk is um, on a topic that I hope will be supportive to your practice. Fantasy Dharma. Practicing with polarities, disappointment, and selflessness. Sounds like a bummer, huh? <laughs> Pema Chodron, um, I'll tell you a little about, bit about how I decided to, to choose this topic and why. And uh, I love what uh, Pema Chodron has to say. says that the time is now. We're always in some kind of mood. It might be sadness. It might be anger. It might be not much of anything, just some kind of blur. It might be humor or contentment. In any case, whatever it is, it is the path. When something hurts in life, we don't usually think of it as our path or as a source of wisdom. In fact, we think that the reason we're on the path is to get rid of this painful feeling. In this way, we naively cultivate a subtle aggression against ourselves. However, the fact is that anyone who has ever used the moments, days, and years of his or her life to become wiser, kinder, and more at home in the world, has learned, has learned from what is happening right now. We can aspire to be kind right in the moment, to relax and open our heart and mind to what is in front of us right in the moment. Now is the time. If there's any possibility for enlightenment, it's right now not at some future time. So I was uh, talking with a yogi, uh, someone uh, who had been on a retreat recently, and uh, they had some unexpected uh, trauma or challenge come up for them. And perhaps this is some of us, something unexpected, something maybe an old memory or a bad feeling or could even be discomfort in the body, arises while we're practicing. Maybe it's just the monkey mind driving us crazy and we want it to settle. And they talked about how disappointed they were and felt like a failure. That we make this time, you know, we come all the way over here at the end of the day and we want some peace. Or we go on a retreat and we sit down and we want... We want to get it, right? We want that good feeling. We want to feel like we're a good practitioner. We want the real meditation. And we have the experience that we have. And maybe it's like really uncomfortable and unpleasant or difficult. And what happens is, um, you know, um, it's ruined. 
You know, we judge it. It's a, I'm a failure. I can't meditate. I'm not a good meditator. I, I've had the honor of teaching a lot of people different classes and often in like the MBSR, the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program, it's an eight-week program. Sometimes people come and they've never sat before and within the first two weeks, I can't do this. I'm a failure. I can't meditate. I'll never get it. And they, they want to run away. Or when I sit down, what I notice is how busy my mind is, how uncomfortable my body is. I have maybe emotions, memories, things I don't want to arise. I just want to be happy and peaceful. Well, um, I don't know. If, if any of you have had a 100% happy, peaceful, always perfect sitting experience, uh, let me know. Let us know. Come up here. <laughs> Uh, that's not my experience. That it's in this capacity to see, this Pema Children says, that in the very moment of whatever's happening is where the true awakening is, being with things as they are. So I'd like to quote the Dhammapada, uh, one of the texts translated from the Buddha. And... In the Dhammapada, they talk about something called uh, Indra's Pillar. And I loved when I came across this Indra's Pillar. Indra's Pillar it was a pillar that in the towns, in the villages, each village had a gate in those days, in the time of the Buddha. And that the pillar stood by the gate. And before people entered the village, they would offer... Um, an offering, flowers, incense, and then they'd enter the gate of the town or the city. So this is what uh, is described. A post set up at the gate of a city, there was that ancient custom of worshipping this post with flowers and offerings. Although those who wanted to show their disrespect for this custom would urinate and defecate on the post, in either case, the post did not react. <laughs> Can we be like Indra's post? You know, whatever comes, comes. And there we are. The, the Arahants in this section on people that are awakened, they renounce every home, every home like swans taking off from a lake. You know, they have a freedom without sign. Their trail, like that of the birds through space, cannot be traced. So there's no clinging to any kind of particular experience. The lotus comes out of the mud. So I don't know if you know the story about the lotus and the mud. But the the lotus, right, we know we maybe have water lilies, lotus, that they, they come out of that mud and that they need those nutrients deep in the mud. We need the muck to bloom a lotus. It doesn't come from nothing. It comes from all of that rubbish, from the very things that we might... Um, recoil, it comes. Um, sometimes I tell people, my clients, that, you know, suffering makes great manure, right? You know, sometimes the stinkiest stuff, you know, as you go through the fields, people that grow our, our veggies, that's what um, enriches the soil. When I talk about polarities, I like to share a few of these. And this was also something that came to mind, is how do we be with life's uncertainties as they are? Because we ultimately have no control. So how do we open and be with them? Uh, one of our um, Dharma friends uh, is suffering with cancer, and some of you have been um, supporting her in her journey and uh, about a week or a couple weeks ago, she was in the oncology unit being treated. 
And at that time, uh, her husband and she herself um, went back and forth between the oncology unit and the birth center where triplets had been born, grand, new grandchildren, all both in the hospital at the same time. You know, death and birth, or not death, sickness, illness, pain, suffering, oncology, cancer, and then birth of, of, of children held there. Now, how do we be with that? I was on a walk. I, I live not too far from Minnehaha Creek, and I love walking down that path, and it was so beautiful the evenings prior to the big storm we had uh, last week. A lot of light, a lot of golden light filtering in, just really lovely in the evening. I, I, I find it so nourishing to walk or exercise in nature at the end of the day. And I was walking along, and suddenly, and I hadn't seen very many this year, a beautiful white crane was right there in, in this little swamp area along the, the creek. And this crane sensed me or saw me, and, and it hopped back. And then, and then um, uh, it, uh, it stood silently on, on the bank of the swamp, and it was peering down at the water. And then all of a sudden, it... It had, I saw it swallowing a fish. And then it took off in these gorgeous, graceful wings. So there was this moment of awe, of beauty, and of death, all in that same moment. So how do we be with all of these things? Our disappointments, our sense of failure, polarities, I once, on my first long retreat, I, uh, I went some year, many years ago, I went to a month-long retreat in a very beautiful place. And there was uh, a woman there, she actually taught meditation in another country, and she came halfway across the world to come to this retreat. And uh, there were three of us sharing this beautiful room in this beautiful place, uh, two of us on futon mats on the floor, and then she was in this large queen-size bed. And she got so ill. She was ill pretty much the whole month she was confined to her bed. She got sicker than sick. And here she was all that way and all that time to get away, and she spent her month in that beautiful queen bed. I were really happy for her to have that queen-size bed, and fortunately, I didn't, uh, the other uh, woman and I in the room didn't get ill. But just thinking, like, if that were me, <laughs> you know, the disappointment, the sense of, wow. And she seemed to find a way to be with it. You know, Indra's pillar, lotus in the mud. I'd like to talk about, this is my version of five phases of practice. The first phase is hope. Hope arises. I have found a path. I've come to the teachings. I've heard about meditation. Maybe I've read a book. I'm, I'm just excited to, to have an opportunity to practice. I start to practice. I start to feel a little more peace. I start to feel um, excited. I get hopeful. Maybe I'll self-improve. Maybe I'll, I'll um, have what I'm seeking. Then, the next phase is the striving. And I'm going for enlightenment or bust. I'm, you know, sign me up. I'm, I'm going to get there. And then, and then we're pushing ourselves and we're trying to get to certain states. We get disappointed when we lose that peace. We just, we keep thinking, I have to try harder. I have to work harder. And there's that striving and we're really pushing ourselves. Well, if I sit a little longer and I'll sit through more pain and the beads of sweat. And there is a place for that strong determination sitting, but this is where we're really, you know, working it. 
in a way that's like, I need to get rid of, I need to fix, I need to um, get it. And then the third phase is the disappointment. One of uh, my teachers said, when you've banged your head on the wall long enough, then you finally give up. And we come to the real practice. You know, I'm going to strive, I'm going to get it, and then we get disappointed, we give up, I can't do this anymore like this. And we, what happens? What happens? We let go. We surrender. And in that giving up, we, that's the fourth phase, we come to letting go. We stop. We drop. We roll with life. And then the fifth phase is that there's no one rolling with it. It just is. We're so identified with our practice. So that's where the selflessness piece comes in. We have so much of a sense of self around our practice, around being a good meditator. You know, um, how we are with disappointment, you know, how we are with life's polarities and paradoxes, how we are with don't, uncertainty. And one of the reasons, of course, you can see that I chose the Jack Cornfield meditation on Don't Know Mind is because when we go with the uncertainty, we don't know. We can be open. I actually um, was at a training for several days with someone from out of state who teaches a form of mindfulness uh, practice, very accessible to people, and very lovely, lovely person, and was, was sharing that um, their, uh, someone dear to them has been diagnosed with an aggressive illness. And when I said, you know, I was saying goodbye and wishing them well and for healing, and this person from their wisdom said, may I have something like the courage, the capacity to be with how things are, you know, the equanimity. And I thought, wow, wow, you know, that's wisdom. Of course she wants the person to be well and have healing, but that may or may not happen. I met someone also uh, recently who, who um, told on themselves that they get so irritated with uncertainty that um, they do some groups that they lead and uh, they look for their colleague to come in in the morning because they do a group in the morning and they look outside to the parking lot to find the spot where their colleague usually parks to make sure that they're there and they're going to be in the building and on time. And uh, one day the person wasn't parked in their spot. And they started to panic and make a whole story in the mind and get really upset and disappointed and why didn't they tell me and if I only knew. And then the person walked in and they said, I parked in a different spot. (laughs) So so how we set ourselves up, the stories we tell ourselves, the whole thing about disappointment and not being good enough is just another story that that the mind makes up to try to explain the unexplainable. Who knows why these things arise? Sometimes it's cause and effect, sometimes it just is. Philip Moffat, uh, I don't know if any of you have heard of him. He's wrote Dancing with Life. He has a wonderful site called dharmawisdom.org. And he has a, a beautiful uh, uh, talk, an article on living with disappointment. I'd like to borrow a few things from Philip to, show, to share with you. He talks about three types of disappointment. The first one is is the anticipation of disappointment. You know, like you, you go all the way, um, one of my colleagues went all the way to uh, Italy and uh, was expecting this amazing weather in Tuscany. That's the Italy, right? Yeah, Tuscany. And uh, I get that and Provence mixed up. I've been to neither place. So uh, in the winter, you know, and they get there, 
And then what happens? It rains and cold the whole time. You know? So there's this, you know, sometimes we anticipate um, something wonderful, we get disappointed, or we anticipate that something's going to be wonderful, and then, and then um, we, we think, oh, I hope nothing happens. You know, we anticipate these things. Then the next form of uh, around disappointment, a cause of it, is that the moment the disappointment arises, and somehow we must live through it. This is referring to the tendency. Do you know people like they like? I know I'm kind of like this. I mean, you know, they like to tell you about you. They relive it over and over again. Their disappointment. Like we play it over and over in our minds. Um, we live with the effects of disappointment. This is the third one. We keep reliving it. Uh, we, we have to live through it, and then we tend to re- relive it. And what his advice is, is that we just recognize it. We just go, ah, this is disappointment. This is what it feels like in the body. This is just the awareness of it. Conscious awareness, conscious acceptance. In uh, Dante's Inferno, um, there's a saying, I don't know, maybe some of you know the quote, that uh, the portal above the gates of hell says, abandon all hope. I went to a practice interview a few years ago or so with uh, one of the teachers. I went in for an interview um, at at a long retreat, and she said to me, abandon hope and fear. Abandon all hope. Doesn't that sound awful? Most of us, we live in this terrain of hope and fear. And actually, that sets us up for more disappointment. Rather than when we actually let go, when we abandon all hope, we abandon distrust and actually cowardice or fear. We, We come to a place of trust, of openness, of being with things as they are. This is the paradox of our practice. The courage to be with what is and not know. This deep letting go and coming to this deeper place of stillness and beingness. Disappointment is a lot of expectations. It's a lot of stories about how things should be. It doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge it. Of course. You know, maybe maybe there was disappointment coming in tonight. You know, it's Mira, not Mark. You know, so uh, who knows? This is a, a reading by uh, Rilke, Wisdom. How should we be able to forget all those ancient myths that are now? the beginning, at the beginning of all peoples, the myths about dragons that at the last moment turned to princes or princesses. Perhaps all the dragons, all the dragons of our lives, are princesses who are only waiting to see us, once beautiful and brave. Perhaps everything terrible is in its deepest being, something helpless that wants help from us. He goes on to say, So you must not be frightened if a sadness rises up before you larger than you have ever seen. If a restiveness, an uneasiness, or impatience, like light and cloud shadows, passes over your hands, over all you do, you must think that something is happening with you, that life has not forgotten you, that it holds you in its hand. It will not let you fall. Why do you want to shut out of your life any uneasiness, any miseries or depression? After all, you do not know what work these conditions are doing inside you. You do not know what work these conditions are doing inside you. Nisargadatta Maharaj says, Love says I am everything. Wisdom says I am nothing. 
between the two, my life flows. Once you realize that the road is the goal and that you are always, always on the road not to reach a goal, but to enjoy its beauty and its wisdom, life ceases to be a task and becomes natural and simple, in itself an ecstasy. And a little humor from Einstein. Once you can accept that the universe the universe is a matter expanding into nothing that is something. Once you can accept that the universe is matter expanding into nothing that is something, wearing stripes with plaid comes easy. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to talk a little bit longer uh, this is moving into more of the selfless aspect of how to be with all of this, in addition to um, being conscious acceptance and letting go of these kinds of expectations. Uh, in this book, Stepping Out of Self-Deception, uh, by uh, Rodney Smith, the Buddha's liberating teaching of no-self, he talks about the horizontal and the vertical aspects of existence. The horizontal refers to our relative reality. You know, we're, we're basically our life takes place, right? We go grocery shopping, we fall in love, uh, we get divorced, I'm sorry, we get married, then we get divorced. <laughs> we, we, we get the perfect, we get a job, we get another job, we get a home, we move here, we go there. You know, life unfolds as it does. We have our plans, we have our dreams. You know, it's, it's, it's our relative reality um, where um, birth, sickness, death, all of that go on. And then the power, and this is where the power of mindfulness is, and, and is that when the vertical intersects the relative, the absolute reality that is, is the, the unborn, the awakened heart-mind, that is beyond any description. The Buddha would only talk about it in terms of not this, not that. That that, that vertical, uh, unconditioned reality intersects with the relative reality. And that is this moment that is timeless, selfless. This just is as it is. So there's a... Uh, a couple, another reading and a story I'd like to share with you, and then a couple more things before I open it up for discussion. So, uh, this is from a retreat that's coming up on seeing beyond the paradox. The Buddha's gradual training, breaking mental fetters, what was once so solidly fixed becomes insubstantial until nothing is left to cling to, and we enter the state called beautiful. The Buddha said simply, For anyone stilled right, there is nothing embraced, nothing rejected, so suffering comes to an end. This is the peace of all the Buddhas. What are you searching for? I'll read it again. So breaking through the mental fetters, what was once so solidly, solidly fixed becomes insubstantial until nothing is left to cling to, and we enter the state of mind called beautiful. The Buddha said simply, For one stilled right, there is nothing embraced, nothing embraced, nothing rejected. So suffering comes to an end. This is the peace of all Buddhas. What are you searching for? Barbara Gates uh, wrote a wonderful article called Nest, No Nest. Um, I don't know how many of you have been on retreats here at Common Ground or Holy Spirit or other places, or even just coming tonight, you might look around. We tend to be creatures that create nests. We want safety. We want comfort. Uh, we order meditation benches and cushions. 
we have chairs. We, we try to make our, our, you know, we close windows, we have air conditioning. We try to create places of safety and of nurturance. And that in, its, in and of itself is, of course, needed and uh, wonderful to have that. And at the same time, we can get so attached to our nests. And uh, there's been like a cushion or seat, like mini wars going on between yogis on retreat, like my spot. And my place, like you put your, you go, I've done this myself, you go into a meditation hall, you, 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 you know, and say it's a, a place like, you know, where you can make your spot. You put your cushion down and your shawl down, and then you come back to the hall, because you've reserved your spot, okay, the sun's, I don't want to be, the sun in my eyes, I don't want to be too near the door, I want to be closer, not close to the teacher, and you get all settled, and then you come back in the hall, you go out and pack your stuff, you come back in the hall, and somebody has moved your stuff. They've maybe either taken the whole thing, Zabutan and all, and they put it somewhere else, or they've simply taken your cushion off, put their own down, their water bottle, and... Yeah, yeah. I was on a retreat. There's a one-center, Turgar Meditation Center. On their retreats, they don't let people have spots. You're absolutely required to put your stuff away. You know, when I first heard that, I was grumbling too. What? I have to do this every day of a retreat? I have to find a new spot? So they had a way out of it. They had, like, if you brought your own cushion rather than used yours, then you could sit in a spot, but you were still encouraged to change. So I saw how crazy that was. And so I, it also was not fair, because why would someone hog a spot on a retreat? You know, it's like so, sometimes you're forward, sometimes you're back, sometimes you're out here. You know, and to really let go of the need to have to have that nest. So here's a little, that's a lead up to this uh, story here. Um, um, so us Vipassana folks, us folks in this type of practice, have a reputation for making nests. So uh, one time... Um, I'll, I'll give you a little more background. So for years, Barbara says, I used to go on an annual Vipassana retreat at a center in the California desert. I liked to sit in the meditation hall all night, enjoying my ease on my pillow with the solace of my shawl. In the early morning hours, I hear the meditators scuffling in their special spots, settling into their cushions, sinking comfortably into the silent hush of the hall as they drew their warming wraps around them. One time, a visiting Zen priest joined us in the hall. I recognized him from my occasional visits to his Bay Area Zen Center. black robe students sitting embracing cold, strict rolls on rows on black sabotons facing a blank wall. Later, following this, the this priest went out of the hall, and I overheard him. I overheard him question one of our teachers in a loud whisper. What's going on in that hall? He explained. Explained with ascending amazement, he described the array of benches, mats, special chairs, and piles of pillows. Students tucked into their comforters. At the crescendo, he jolted me with his charged whisper. Don't they know there is no nest? And don't we know that all too all so well, right? Put it all in place and sometimes something amazing happens, something very tragic. Just um, my husband and I have been at this training and we've been driving back and forth every day out to practically the Arboretum and rush hour traffic. And this evening, we were driving and trying to figure out the best route to avoid traffic uh, to, for him to get back to teach a class and me to get here. And uh, we're going along the freeway, and all of a sudden, we see smoke. And then I hear a siren. I think, oh, where is it? I need to pull over. And my husband says, no, it's on the next side of the highway. And in a few more moments, we come 
to a smashed car on fire, burning. Wow. That's our life. We just don't know. So, uh, let's see. So, Barbara Gates uh, and her friend Susan Moon have a little poem, if I can... uh, get to it. It's a a little ditty that's quite uh, lovely. So she says, There once was a prince from Lubini who instructed yogis and yoginis. He taught them all freedom from clinging to medum. Thus their suffering made their suffering teeny. I'll read it again. It's a poem about the Buddha, the prince from Lubini. Lubini. There once was a prince from Lumbini who instructed yogis and yoginis. He taught them all freedom from clinging to medum, thus making their suffering teeny. When we practice conscious acceptance and being with things as they are, The hell of disappointment is transformed into a celebration of love. The hell of disappointment is transformed into a celebration of life. There's no need for hope, for all that is is honored is to be honored and cherished, is here, now, brilliantly reflected in the quality of your own conscious, choiceless attention brilliantly reflected in the quality of your own conscious, choiceless attention. I'd like to uh, close with a poem. If I may, sorry, did you find it? You didn't find it. It it kind of disappeared, but I remember the words because it's about what, what, when we think of that vertical and that horizontal plane and, and what the Buddha how he describes awakening, and and from that reading about the stillness, how we can just stop. So May Sarton wrote a very beautiful poem, and it and it and the whole poem builds up to you know talking about all our busyness in life and all our plans and all our activities and all the things that we engage in, wholesome, unwholesome, all the. Plans, disappointments, excitements, anticipation, success, failures, all of this through her long, full life. And then she says, she, then at last she says, she comes to that place of stillness. She invokes us, she invites us to stand still, 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 stand still, be still, stop, be still, be still and stop the sun. letting the words go. Dropping into stillness. Opening into the stillness. invite you to uh, share your own wisdom. We can learn from each other. 
any comments, questions, anything that resonated, any reactions to the practice of don't know mind or what came up for you? Or... Yes, please. Uh, last week was my first time coming here, and it was, okay. <laughs> it was amazing. It, it just opened my mind, and uh, I started thinking about it after I left and trying to figure out what made this different from church, I guess. Uh, I'm an atheist, but I grew up Catholic. Uh, and I really like being taught how to think and not being told what to think. Yes. And I keep coming back to that, and it's, it just feels really, it feels so good inside. And then uh, what you were saying tonight about hoping and wishing and looking forward to things, and, and then you miss what's going on now, and I... I absolutely know that, you know, if it's a vacation or whatever it is that I'm so excited for it that and then I'm so excited and I can't wait for that and once it's here, that's here and I can't look back and say, Well what what did I do for the, the last few weeks? And uh, it just it really is powerful. That's, that's wonderful that you're seeing that. And the Buddha said, Come see for yourself, you know. Um, I remember being on a wonderful little uh, break a weekend uh, at a farm in Wisconsin a while back, uh, some years ago when my son was young. And it was just so glorious being out of the city and having this day away. It was so pleasant and wonderful. And then I woke up in the morning to the sounds of the rooster and the birds and the sunshine, smell of the fresh air, and I'm like, when can I come again? <laughs> you know, like, and I caught it, you know, because of the practice. It's like, wow, I just left. You know, I'm so busy now thinking, oh, when could I go and when my schedule. And again, it's not that we don't make plans or we don't enjoy what we enjoy. But I think uh, your wisdom around seeing that, you know, how we've already left. Yeah, thank you. Not living our moments. Other thoughts or questions? Comments? Yes. It's been a while since I've practiced, so I'm kind of out of, out of that synchro rhythm, but I'm stuck in the paradox about letting go, but also still wanting to claim dreams or move forward with your life or do important things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when do you know to let go or when do you know to keep moving? Well, what you're, what you're recognizing, I think, is a, it's a wonderful awareness because we don't know, so we listen deeply. And, and, and I, and that it is a paradox. So, so it's not, we're human beings. And, and, and I think people often interpret, and I don't know about you, but it's easy to start to see the teachings of the Buddha or the Dharma is kind of, of kind of this bummer, like, well, I, how do I make plans? How do I live my life? You, you fully engage in your life. You're fully engaged. Some of the most creative, wise, amazing beings, um, they're, they're not these zombies, meditation zombies. They're very engaged. They're, they're responsive. They're, um, um, doing good works in the world. They're, they're encouraging. Uh, people to develop themselves. So it's this both and. It's that horizontal and vertical. And I think that it's in, it's taking those moments to drop into just the being aspect of it. I work a lot also with graduate students, professors, folks like that, and they're, we're so stressed out. We're so into the doing and the striving that we forgot about the being. So I think when you listen, you'll find the balance. You know, you live the paradox. And, and it is, it's a balancing act. It's a process. We're a process. And sometimes we're like the river and we're still, and other times we're, 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 we're moving quickly. So I, I, I encourage you to trust and really engage in your life. Not try to get it right. You know, to live, like Rilke says, into the questions. Live them now into the answers. Yeah. So I don't know if that's helpful or more confusing. Um, if anyone wants to shed light, but I, I actually wish that I had more of that teaching. I think I would have suffered less when things didn't go according to plan. 
you know, or I wouldn't feel like, you know, my heart goes out when somebody's like, oh my God, I need to, I didn't get my A, my life is ruined, you know, and, and realizing we have this perspective that, um, you know, it's not about perfection. And we can relax and let go and do our best and, and enjoy and, yeah, other people, other comments? Guys look kind of tired tonight. <laughs> that much sleep after the storm. Anyone else? Before we close, we have time for one or two. Okay. So, uh, invite you to settle in. We'll we'll close with uh, some loving kindness, and then. Uh, we have a couple of announcements. <laughs> so take your seat, settle in. Let go the words, take a few easy breaths. When you're ready, let your awareness come into the area of your heart, center of your chest or your physical heart, connecting with your own wish for happiness, for peace, for freedom. you wish, bringing a gentle smile to your heart, or perhaps an image that gives you a warm and happy feeling inside, like a flower, smile of a child, and let that fill you, let that fill your heart as much as you can, letting the image go, just the felt sense, or as best that you're able to connect with a feeling of kindness, of well-wishing towards oneself. What brought you here at the end of the day to come to nourish your practice, to take care of your body, heart, and mind, appreciating yourself. (coughs) Gratitude. And then when you feel ready, And there's an option to just stay with yourself because ultimately when our hearts are filled with loving kindness and care and compassion, they're filled with that, whether it's directed to self or other. Letting the the boundaries, the differences dissolve that keep us isolated and disconnected in unhealthy ways. And just as I wish for myself to be well and happy, may the benefits of my practice May wishes for well-being go out, just as from myself, to everyone here, everyone here tonight, everyone that volunteers and offers things here at the center, out into the neighborhood. Just take your time, like the warmth of the sun radiating out from the heart. And then bringing to mind people near and dear to you, Parents, grandparents, children, other family or friends, colleagues, neighbors, people near and dear to you that you share your life with. Imagining them in your mind's eye, if you like, and wishing them well. Maybe there's someone who's in particular need, who's facing a challenge or suffering in some way. May you be well. May you be at ease. May you know true peace, happiness, freedom. And then letting the unconditional loving kindness radiate out to those known and unknown beyond all boundaries and borders 
this country and all the countries of the earth, to all sentient beings in all spaces and time directions. So much suffering, so much greed, hatred, delusion, war, natural disaster, people in Egypt, other places in the Mideast, places of war, hunger, illness. Just as I wish for myself to be free from pain and suffering, to know peace, happiness, and freedom, I wish this for all sentient beings everywhere. No difference. Let's just sit for a few more moments in this loving kindness. Thank you, everyone. May you have a peaceful evening, good sleep. May you be free from disappointment about disappointment and find ease and peace and stillness and and awakening in the moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.